You're listening to Life, Death and Sport, the podcast that reveals sports rarely told stories of heartbreak, healing and hope, shining a light on the real and raw issues that are so often kept in the dark. Hosted by Robbie Cornthwaite. Today, my guest on Life, Death and Sport is journalist, reporter and now radio presenter Jim Wilson. Professionally, Jim has had a career that most would be envious of. But in his personal life, particularly over the past decade, he's had to deal with two heartbreaking losses that's left significant holes in his world. Well, it's my absolute pleasure to welcome to Life, Death and Sport, Jim Wilson. Jim, thank you very much for joining me on the, on the podcast. Robbie, my absolute pleasure, mate. Great to be with you. Jim, I just want to start with uh, sort of current events, I suppose. Um, you worked at Channel 7 for, for 30, 30 years or something about that, and you've just recently left to take up a new role with 2GB on the Drive Show. I just wanted to check in. It's only been, I think, about four or six weeks in the new role. How's it all going, and, and how's the transition been? Uh, yeah, I'm loving it, Robbie. I mean, I've, certainly I had a, a wonderful 28 years at 7, and I've been you know sort of broadcasting now for 30-odd years, and... Yeah, it was a big move. I mean, it was sort of like, you know, I'm early 50s and I always said it would have to be something unbelievable to get me away from what was a great gig um, at seven. So, you know, having said that, I've I've been in the chair for about five weeks now at 2GB and uh, in Sydney on, on the drive program from three till six. And, I'm, I, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. It's, it's variety. You know, I'm, I, it's, it's ob- I've obviously joined at a very busy time in the news cycle with, with everything happening with COVID and... Uh, we had the, the Beirut explosion a couple of weeks back. Um, you know, we're doing some sport. We're doing some, you know, you know, even today on the program, we did a, um, when, when live theatre's coming back to Sydney. And, you know, I'm enjoying that because I actually, over 30 odd years of broadcasting, I've done radio, but I've never actually hosted my own show. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's a new game. It's sort of, you know, it's a whole new craft and I'm learning and I'm, but I'm enjoying the challenge. And as I said, it's, uh, Every day is different, and the, and the three hours of program that we've got is is, is always very different. So, as I said, it's um, we, we still do a bit of sport in there because I love my sport, as you know. But um, you know, more than anything else, what I pride myself on over thirty odd years is is breaking news, and and I've always had a, a great interest in, in particular, sitting in a newsroom between three and six pm. There's always plenty happening in the news cycle, and so for me now to be host my own show and the immediacy of radio where something, if something is breaking, you can basically get it to air really quickly. And I, I think that's what the listener wants. And as I said, they also want some, a bit of an escape from, you know, sort of a, some fairly tough times at the moment with COVID-19. So I give them a variety as well. And we talk a bit of sport. It's a nice escape. And we have a bit of a laugh along the way as well. But yeah, no, the, the move's been good. And I've, everyone at 2GB has been very welcoming and everyone at the nine media groups has been welcoming. And, as I said, I, I started my television career at Channel Nine back in the in the mid '80s, and um, and now I'm back there. So it's sort of um, it's amazing how life works, Robbie. Yes, uh, I know. Um, in the previous conversations we've had, you you told me part of the move was you know motivated by personal interests, which we'll, we'll definitely get to a little bit later. I just wanted to ask you maybe about the changing landscape of media and whether that had any sort of um, you know whether that came into your thinking, the fact that we see. So many media outlets making cuts. We know television's changing, uh, news is changing. Was it an opportunity to get out at the right time as well there as well? Oh, I don't know about that. I, I think that certainly I think that you know, the industry is in a, it, it is in a really tough situation, tough, you know, facing tough challenges, and that's across the industry. It wasn't just it's – it's not just isolated to seven. It's across the board. 
you know, advertising revenues down. Um, there are people are getting their their information from different sources. They're watching different things through streaming services like Netflix and whatever else. I, I suppose the, the one thing to say about that is that it was the excitement of actually a new challenge and and, and the drive program. I think you know I think is the best shift you know during the day. And I think that you know to have my own radio show to do things that. I'm interested in, and as throwing the breaking news as well. That's what really appealed to me. And I, I mean, nine's a, you know, nine's a, a very powerful media stable with with with, te- with television, you know, with newspapers, with the Sydney Morning Herald, the Financial Review, the Age, and, and as well as their radio arms. So it, it's a, it is a fairly powerful stable. And I, you know, certainly the, the variety and the diverse nature of nine's media group was yeah, it was an appeal, but it wasn't a clincher of me going. The clincher for me. Is that I, you know, I'd had 28 great years at seven, um, you know, hosted Olympic games, hosted big ticket items, um, love, love the new cycle, love breaking news, and I just felt like I wanted something, something new and something challenging. And I know it sounds a bit cliche, but it's the truth. And you know, as far as getting out at the right time, no, not at all. I think that, as I said, I think seven, you know, nine, ten, wherever. And we've seen it with Channel Ten as well in the last, you know, week yep. or so. You know, it's a very tough media environment, and it's and having but having said that, it's not just immune to media. You know, I think yeah. that there's a lot of people who'll be listening to your podcast who, you know, face. You know, look at the aviation industry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as I mentioned, I did, I, I did an interview today about live theatre shows. Yeah. The theatre industry, the entertainment industry, has been on its knees since the COVID pandemic struck. So, you know, it's not just media. It's it, it, There are a lot of people who will be listening to this podcast and who are, who are doing it really tough. And um, so media is not immune to that. And I think that certainly in the free-to-air television market right now, but in the media market across the board, it's it's really challenging times. And so, you know, I think that, um, I'm, I'm, you know, I've said this several times before I, I left to go to 2GB, there are a lot of people worse off than I, than I am right now, and I'm, I'm lucky to have a gig. Mm. I love what I do, and um, you know I'm only I'm early fifties, and I've got you know I'd like to think that I've, I've been doing this for thirty odd years, but I'd like to think that there's a lot more years left. You know, I think, but but you know, it's it's one of those things where it's a um, it's unpredictable, of course. And um, but and I've been and, and again I go back to the fact that I've been lucky to have thirty odd years in this game, but I think you also make your own luck. Of I, you know, whoever I've worked for, I've always worked hard. I've, I've been brought up by my mother to have a, a strong work ethic, to be fair and respectful, and that's been like me in any workplace. And um, and and mum instilled that into us three kids, and that will last with me for a lifetime. You mentioned um, the Olympics there. I think you've covered six or seven different Olympic Games over the years, and it was an Olympics year, of course, unluckily, and um, you know, disappointingly, it hasn't been able to go ahead in Tokyo, rescheduled for next year, and let's hope that goes ahead and everything stays uh, okay there do you have i mean we could have a whole podcast about the the different sporting events and 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 athletes you've spoken to Uh, i I don't want to put you on the spot but is there is there one moment an olympics moment that you were there for that just stands out above all others well i think kathy freeman i mean hosting the sydney olympics in in our in in my backyard and in our backyard because it wasn't just the sydney games it was it was australia's games and for me, Freeman, to me, um, is my favourite sporting moment. And I, not, not just Olympics, in any, in any way. I, I think that I look at some of the things that I've covered over the years and, 
you know, I've been lucky enough to cover some big cricket tours in the subcontinent and, and uh, the West Indies cricket tour in 1995 when we won the, the Frank Worrell Trophy against all odds. I mean, we lose Antilles, you come out a week later and we, Steve Waugh and Mark Waugh, share an amazing partnership and we beat the Windies in Jamaica. So that to me was a, a great team sport um, highlight. You know, and then we look at Kieran Perkins' back-to-back Olympic gold from, you know, in, in Atlanta when he was the, the slowest qualifier and he goes out leads from start to finish to win the 1500 metres freestyle. Another great moment. But Freeman, to me, the expectation of a nation, after what had happened as well in the opening ceremony, the cauldron jamming, she was drenched, poor old calf. Mm. She comes out, she's got that running suit where I'm thinking, wow, where did that running suit come from? Calf, I hope you win this because <laughs> the running suit, I just went, I never, you know, it was like, it was incredible. You know? yeah. And, you know, everyone goes, oh, she was the, she was always the gold medal favourite. Well, mm. you know what? There's no such thing as a, a sure thing in the Olympic Games, and especially when it's in your in, in your own backyard as a home Olympics as it was for Cathy. Yeah. And for her to come out and, and win that with a, with a, a nation's expectations, it was it was incredible. And I think the Sydney Olympics and the Paralympics. I mean, I've, I've been very passionate about the Paralympics forever ever and a day, and I've hosted a few I've hosted a, a Paralympics, and I've covered a few. But I, I, I think back at some of my great moments in broadcasting and the Paralympics, in particular in Rio in 2016, was probably one of the great highlights. I mean, Michael Phelps and Usain Bolt were amazing. Yep. And, 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 and Biles in gymnastics. And I mean, she, she's a, I'm just an incredible athlete, Simone Biles. But, mate, I'll tell you, the, the, the Paralympics have given me some of my greatest moments of broadcasting. And, I, you know, Cathy's my number one sporting moment, but... The Gold Coast Commonwealth Games in Rio in 2016, my top five moments, for example, my top three moments on the Gold Coast at what I thought were a great Commonwealth Games in 2018, but they were all Paralympic-related sports. Wow. To um, look at that and I go, you know, wow, Kurt Fernley, I mean, I'd say to my wife, you know, I've got a man crush on Kurt Fernley. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I think he's just an amazing, not just an amazing athlete, but just a truly great Australian, yep. great statesman, great role model. And so, yeah, I'm very passionate about the Olympics, but I'm equally as passionate about the Paralympics. And, um, and, and that's why, again, with this new show that I'm hosting on Drive on 2GB, you know, the opportunity of going interviewing Kurt and, and, and basically helping people with disabilities, yeah. not just in the sport but across the board, again, was a, is a really exciting thing for me that I can actually go into a job and make a, you know, help, help rattle a few cages and, and try to make a difference for people. And, um, you know, as I said, I've been very, very fortunate to cover some of the great sporting events around the world. You know, and I think, you know, the sport that you were very successful. Yeah, well, I was going to say, I'm just getting, I was going to just take a little bit of a detour there because I know you were a a part of the World Cup bids for football and, and also part of the Asian Cup. Were you at the Asian Cup final? Did you get to see that live? I did, and I, I remember you know playing Uruguay in, in 2006 to qualify for the for the World Cup, and again John Alawisi and Schwartz's heroics right up there with my favourite sporting moments. The World Cup, you know, it, it's like Australia landing. I was, I, I'm an ambassador for our bid to, to win the 2023 Women's World Cup. And thankfully, we did. Yep. Just, oh, it's going to be so good. I mean, it's just going to be it's going to be brilliant and, and, and great for our country, like, and great for football in this country. Yeah. But, and great for women's sport, but just wonderful for our country because we know we can nail big-scale events. And I just feel like, you know, the 2023 Women's World Cup will be, will be spectacular. And to be involved, you know, in that failed World Cup bid in Zurich, which I was in Zurich for the count and the vote, 
I mean, you know, you know how it works. You played at the elite level of the game, and I, I stood there. You know, it was about minus ten in Zurich, and we were standing there, and I just went, you know what? We had a fairly, you know, we had a pretty good bid actually, and you know, Philip Noyce, the filmmaker, the film director, was involved, and Al McPherson was involved, and our bid was pretty strong. And Frank Lowy was, you know, obviously very passionate in securing it. Mark Abid was the current federal sports minister; he was there. But I knew all along, under the old FIFA, it was always going to be very difficult for us to land that. Yep. And you know, we know how politics works. Yep. I've seen it at the IOC, I've seen it at FIFA, I've seen it with Formula One. And when we, we, I mean, it's not the benefit of hindsight, but I thought, gee, if we get this, if we land this, we'll be, you know, for 2022, we'll be, we'll be really lucky. I just thought we were so up against it politically. And, you know, money talks, it's commercial reality, but I thought, I thought our bid was really strong. I was really disappointed the way the whole big thing unfolded. And people say to me now, what would you expect? How could you expect anything different? And I thought, yeah. okay, fine, but... It was just, I just didn't think it was a level playing field. And anyway, we've got the Women's World Cup. FIFA, I think, is slowly but surely changing. And, um, but yeah, I, I, I must say, I, you know, I, I do like my football or soccer for a lot of your audience might refer to it. I mm. might call it football, but it, it does get a bit confusing when, and you live in Adelaide. So <laughs> yeah. you know about this. I mean, people, when you talk about football, they think about the Crows. Or exactly Port right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even sometimes when I do my, my stuff, my stories for Channel 7, uh, you know, I have to say soccer sometimes because it just confuse the viewers. And uh, I don't like yeah. doing it and yeah. I try not to. But if it's following straight up a, after a, a, an AFL story, then, you know, sometimes you, ca- you, you can't get around it. But certainly um, for me and I think most uh, purists, it's, it is definitely football. Um, yeah, we, we, we it's, it's, t- the, it's the world, it's, and it's the world game too, Rob. Yeah, you know, of course. It, it, it truly is the world game. I mean, I look at the Olympics that I've covered, and I think about World Cups in, in, in football and soccer. And mate, I, you know, it, 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 it deserves bragging rights in the same breath as the Olympics. Like, it, it, oh, it's 100%. Not, it, it, it probably it's probably, probably gone bigger. Past it. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree with that. I think that it's a. You know, I remember being in. Um, I've covered them, but I, I remember actually being on holiday in Europe. Um, and, 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 and watching it. And I, mate, in this remote village in Italy, when Italy hadn't even qualified, <laughs> mate, it was just extraordinary to see the passion and the, and the interest in it. And I, I always knew it was there and I knew it yeah. was the world game, but this remote, tiny village, every single set of eyes was blue on the one television in the village. And, um, yeah, it was just, and it wasn't Italy playing. Italy wasn't involved. Yeah. Yeah. It was, and I just thought, I sat back and I said to my wife, look at the level of passion for this and the interest in in this. Yeah, it's, back, um, it's incredible. Back in 2010, I had a, a an injury at the time and I wasn't uh, training or playing. And I reckon out of the the 64 matches or whatever it was, I would have watched probably close to 60 of them live. Stayed up all night, every night. Didn't matter who was playing. You just you just wanted to watch it and, and be a part of it. And 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 I will touch on the football again uh, in my closing. Uh, questions i suppose to you in the the podcast but i mean the reason i do this podcast is is basically to to shed light on on stories and 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 issues that maybe people don't know about athletes and and people involved in sports such as yourself and uh, you know, most people would be very envious of the career that you've been able to to have um, and and you deserve it with all the work you've done. But away from the camera and away from work, you have had some some personal struggles and, and tragedies. Um and I wanted to start with with your boy Sam. You've got two boys, Sam and um, 
Joey. Uh, Joey, sorry, yep. I nearly said Jake then, and I was yep. looking down. Apologies about that, Sam and Joey. That's right. Um, back in 2009, Sam was, was diagnosed with a brain tumour. Uh, he was only five years of age, and I just wanted to start by asking, you know, how did that diagnosis come about, and, and were there signs and symptoms that, that led you to seek, seek further, further explanation? Um, it's a good question. I, I, you know, Sam was diagnosed at five and then and he passed away at six. So it's a very, it's an aggressive form of cancer. You know, anyone that knows brain cancer, it's a, a very big killer of children under the age of 10. And, it, it, you know, it, it, for anyone who gets brain cancer, but in particular children, it's very, very aggressive, especially if it spreads into the spinal fluid and, and throughout the body. And that's what happened with Sam. Um, they got the principal tumour at the back of his head, but then it had spread a couple of nodules um, to the left-hand side of his brain behind his ear, a couple of very tiny specks, and then and it also um, went into his spinal fluid, into his spinal column, which had been spread. Um, so it was very aggressive. Um, you know, I mean, Sam is with me every day and he's an incredible young boy and was way beyond his years. And, you know, I think what I, I think that the one thing about Sam and my other boy, Joey, um, who was nine at the time when when Sam passed away? I mean, I'm very proud. I'm a very proud dad, and I'm. I think that um, Sam, you know, it's, it's cruel. You know, it's you know, I think for a six year old, that, um, you know, to be dealing with that. Um, you know, I struggled as a forty year old to be think about what he was going through, let alone him as a six year old, the start of his life. And um, and for Joey, who was nine, who was who had a brother who had brain cancer, and I'm so proud of Joey. He's a He's now um, he's now 19, and um, he just turned 19. And you know, I look at him over the last 10 years, and he's had a, a lot to cope with. You know, so when I talk about my situation, I look at Joey, and I, you know, I, I think that I think to myself, you know, I'm, I'm so proud of him. I, I think that he's shown incredible uh, resilience. He, he's, um, you know, he's. You know, he's been told to grieve when he when, when he wants to grieve and when he feels the need to grieve. And you know, there's times when I, you know, in particular on Sam's anniversary in April, you know, that I, I don't, you know, it's an awful day. And um, you know, his birthday's November 17. But I, I think to myself, his anniversary of his passing is the day that really, really, you know, cuts deep. But you know, it's it's one of those things where I, before Sam was diagnosed, I was pretty passionate about medical research. And obviously, medical research right now, we're trying to find a, a vaccine for COVID, is, is more topical than ever. And this is another reason why I like the radio show that I'm hosting, is that I can, we can talk medical research and we yep. can, you know, it, it, people are interested in it because, you know, in the past, it might have been a bit nerdy and, and uh, medical research. Well, medical research has always been vital. If we don't research, we don't, we don't crack the code. That, if we, if we don't continue researching, and with the lack of funding from the federal government, and, and just and it's not, not even just the, the, the current government, it's just been like this for a long time, whether it be Labor or Liberal. And, you know, it, it annoys me because I think to myself, if we don't continue the funding of researchers at brilliant scientific brains, whether it be Adelaide, Sydney, Perth, wherever, we've got some of the best scientific brains in the world yep. in our country. And some of, them, some of them are either going offshore because they can't afford... They survive on the smell of an oily rag here, or they just give it up. And I go, well, if we don't research, we'll never crack the code. Yeah, you know, we're trying to we're trying to improve survival rates for brain cancer, let alone find a cure. But if we can improve survival rates for can- brain cancer, then that's that, that's that's the way it should be. I mean, the same goes for pancreatic cancer, which is very aggressive, and for stroke, 
and for Alzheimer's. And, you know, research is really important. And it's not a case of getting on a, you know, sort of crusade or this soapbox, but it is something close to my heart. But it was close to my heart before Sam was diagnosed. And ever since Sam was diagnosed and then passed away with brain cancer, it's, you know, I've been, I've been very, very vocal and passionate in getting a better, you know, getting a better deal for brain cancer research from government funding. And, um, and, and, uh, and I think it's wonderful that I'll give the government a big tick here, the federal government. At least they're, you know, they're throwing resources behind trying to find a, a vaccine for COVID. They are helping brain cancer research in some ways, but I think more could be done. But, you know, right now research is so important. And um, as I said, we're trying to find a damn vaccine. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it, you know, we should be celebrating our great scientific brains and minds. And, and if I could make a difference in some way in helping to improve or, you know, trying to rattle cases for a better slice of the funding pie, then, you know, that makes me a happy man. Yeah, I think certainly through your radio show, you should should be able to do, do that. You did mention um, Joey there, as a, as a nine-year-old and seeing his brother going through what he went through, how was that dynamic, that family dynamic? Um, oh, but, you know, for any mother or father going through that, it's a, you know, it's, it's, it's awful. You know, it was, um, you know and um, I think that with Joey... Um, you know, I, he was with me on the night of. You know, I, I had to. It was about eleven fifty-five or midnight, around about that, anyway, um, in April and um, April six, April seven, and then we basically. I, Joey woke up the next morning. He was with me, and I, I just, you know, he, he, he was going to a footy clinic actually, and um, an AFL clinic, which was being run by. Um, in fact, I think one of the guys that was running it was Chris Judd, the, the former Brownlow, well, not the former, the Brownlow medalist and the former Carlton and West Coast champion. And, it was a clinic in Melbourne because um, Sam was in hospital in Melbourne, and um, you know Joey was adamant that when I told him that he wanted to go to the footy clinic that morning, um, and then wanted to go and see his brother who passed away, and I, I, I said absolutely, like you know. So yeah, you know, um, it was it was, t- it was it was you know I'll never forget the conversation with him. I was in a service department on St Kilda Road in Fitzroy, in uh, sorry Fitzroy Street in St Kilda. And um, I'll never forget having that conversation with him. And um, it was an awful conversation that I'll never forget. Uh, but he was adamant he wanted to go to the footy clinic with Chris Judd because he loves the blues, like his poor old tragic father. And um, and we ended up at that footy clinic with Chris Judd. And, and following that, we went and saw Sam. And, you know, as I said, I'm very, I'm very, very proud of Joey. And I've got a stepson, Darcy, who I, who's also 19, uh, to my... Uh, my current wife, and, um, you know, I think that getting through Sam in the last 10 years and then the loss of my sister, Beth, I, I wouldn't have done it without, you know, without great support of my wife, Chris Barth, and, um, you know, great family, my mother, Mary Lou, my other sister, Lizzie, who's just incredible, and between Barthy and, and Mum and, and Lizzie and Joey, you know, and, and, great, and some great friends, I, I, I've been, you know, I've been lucky to have people in my trench, and, you um, I'll, I'll never forget that, and that you know those people mean the world to me, and I'm they're loyal to me, and I'm very loyal to them in return. And I think that, yeah, as I say, Chris has been incredible um, in, in a very difficult ten years where I lost my son and then lost my sister, um, who was only fifty-four. It was um, you know getting married to Chris and having this ten year I've been with her for ten years. It's been um, it hasn't been the most easiest time on a personal front, but she certainly has been, has been my rock and my great support. Whenever somebody loses someone that's close to them there's always a 
an element of, you know, I could have done this or I should have spent more time with them. And, and, and you know, you do hear that from everyone, you know, hug the ones you love and, and all those sorts of things. What is what is the experience in particular with Sam? What is it, what has it taught you or, or how did it change you? Um, I think, um, you know, to, to life is fickle. I mean, I know that sounds toy and, and cliche, but it really is. You know, I, I just, I, I'd hosted a million events before, like for like charities and, you know, I've always, charity's always been a big part of what I do because I, my mum's, again, mum brought us up like that, that we've got to give back. And for those who are doing it tough or less fortunate. So I'd always hosted events where I, in particular children's charities, where you'd get up and MC or be host an event and go, Hi, I'm Jim Wilson. You know, um, I'm lucky to be the father of two healthy children. And then when Sam got diagnosed, you sort of go. And there was one. There was one organisation um, that I did year in, year out. And they were a children's charity, and um, you know, I used to host a, um, a, a, an annual event, which was a big part of their calendar at the MCG. And I used to get up and say, well, I'm, "I'm lucky to have two healthy children." And lo and behold. Um, you know, I'll never forget the, the, the one I hosted at the MCG in the finals mm. where I got up and said, you know, I've just been told about Sam and, and about his diagnosis and um, I'll never forget that. And So it's sort of, um, yeah, it, it's it, the, the, the lessons it's taught me, I, I think, you know, certainly, um, you know, it's, it, it was really, it was tough. And, 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 but, but again... Um, I, first and foremost, I was obviously thinking about Sam and what yeah. he was going through, but also what Joey was going through. I mean, not, Joey was nine years old. Mm. You know, I was a 40-year-old, you know, father of two, and it was tough enough for me, little alone, but nothing compared to a nine-year-old who's, you know, watching his brother die. And so I look at Joey today, and, I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm super proud of him. I, I think he's... He's developed into a great young man, and and, and and is so respectful and kind and generous, and, and um, you know I think that you know what he went through as a nine-year-old, let alone what Sam went through as a six-year-old, but for for Joey to endure that and watching his brother die was was yeah it was horrendous. Yeah, I mean I've got a five and a half-year-old daughter, and when she was uh, eighteen months, my second child, my daughter Minnie, who I talked to you about previously, she passed mm-hmm. away, and. And now four years later, my five-and-a-half-year-old, sometimes she'll cry and say, oh, I miss Minnie or, or I miss my sister because mm-hmm. obviously we, we tell her about her, although she, you know, there's no way she could even remember. Uh, what, is, what does Joey say about it all now, looking back? Does he have much memory? Does he talk about his brother a lot? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think with, with your situation, it, you know, I, you know, you're, did you say she's five and a half years old? Now she's five and a half, yeah, but it, it happened yeah. when she was 18 even, even months. Yeah. Re- yeah, but she, she wouldn't remember that, but she, it's still a sister, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Like it's, you know, that's the whole thing, is it? No, Joey remembers 100% like vividly, yeah. like growing up with Sam. Uh, you know, Sam was six when he passed away and Joey was nine, but mate, I'll, I'll never forget Jamie down there having a kick of the footy down the park. Mate, they, they were very, they were loving brothers, but all boy, they were very different. And 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 Sam would give as good as a yacht. Don't worry about that. He, he was he was little brother, but he he absolutely like gave Joey on the um when we went for kick kick to kick or kicking a goal down the local park, whatever. He would just give it to him. So no, Joey, no Joey, and and also just also, you know, Sam with. 
you know, global KFC and, um, you know, just things, you know, being boys and brothers growing up, you know, you remember things like that in your experiences, but no, 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 Joey's memory of Sam is as clear as day, and, um, and I'm glad it is, you know, I think that he, he's learned to, you know, and he's had some great mates around him who have helped him through it, um, and a great family network, but I think that, um, oh, you know, as I said, I, I think that I look at him and I go, you know, he, he's been incredible with what he's done. And it's amazing, though, like even this year, he, he finished school last year and he had a really good year last year. And, you know, first year out, he thought, you know what, I might defer for a year and have a gap year and go to Europe and travel a bit. And lo and behold, COVID yeah. hits. And, um, but even that, though, like he says to me, you know, Dad, it could be a whole lot worse. Yep. You know, and I, I just love you know his attitude and his resilience and his his positive nature makes me a very proud dad. And I think that you know, you know, fancy having feeling you, you, you finish school, and I know there are people listening to the podcast who are far worse off, and I'm not underestimating that. But gap year, go to Europe mid year, Europe summer, you know, a few months off, you know, it, and it's saved and saved and saved his pocket money and. Um, and then, you know, obviously circumstances change. So, yeah. anyway, he's, 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 he's brought his university studies forward. He's, um, he's studying teaching, and um, I just want him to be happy in whatever he does, whether it be, maybe whether he's a teacher, which we probably we need teachers, whether he works, you know, whatever he does. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I just wish him happiness, and I'm very, you know, above everything else, I want him, want him to be respectful and kind and, and give back, and I know that he, he's doing that, and he's, and I know he'll continue to do that in the future. He's a very kind-hearted young man. And we know you've been quite open um, about your son, Sam, and about your sister as well. Um, you lost her in 2016 through through breast cancer, another terrible event for your family, and obviously cancer, that big C word again pops up, and, and it's just, a you know, like you say, the research that needs to go into that area is... There can never be too much, but you were telling me an interesting story because Beck uh, was quite, how do I put this politely, negative towards the sport that I <laughs> quite quite loved and enjoyed and uh, and, and oh, you as no. well. Do we, do we really need to go here? And, uh, well, I, I, I was hoping you could tell uh, tell us about the story um, uh, when you were at the Wanderers game one day because you were an ambassador uh, for the Wanderers at one point. No, not one point. I still am. Oh, you still so are. Apologies. I'm, I'm still, I'm still, no, no, that's all right. No, it's through, through my wife, Chris Bart. I mean, she grew up in the western suburbs of Sydney and she was went to Holroyd High, which is very much like a, you know, you know like this multicultural school, a public school in, in the west of Sydney, and um, and she grew up there. So the Wanderers came to her and said, do you want to be an ambassador? Would you be interested as well being an ambassador? It was through Chris, my wife. But I, I, I said, well, yeah, sure. I think it's, you know, it's a club that, it's starting from from its infancy. It's a big, it's a big community out there who love their football. Um, why not? I'd love to be part of it. But it was so it was through Chris anyway. We get on board, and then Beck, who was fairly vocal in her um, in her criticism, and um, you know she didn't you know her dislike of uh, I'm not sure it was just football in general, but certainly the A League and yep. and, and, this, and the Wanderers Club. And I'm going, you know, she thought they, they had links to Underworld and gangs and whatever. You know, you know what. Maybe, whatever. But the bottom line is I, I love it because I played football and soccer in my school years, played a lot of terms of soccer and football. And so I sort of, um, you know, I love the game. And um, so I, I decided, you know, I want to be part of this. So I, I, Chris and I were at a game and, and uh, I'll never forget this one night, this big banner went up across the back of the stadium and 
was basically having a crack at Beck and, you know, she'd been charged, I think, for DUI, you know, with drink driving. And they had this big banner that went right across <laughs> the whole back of the stadium. And because um, she'd had to crack, I think, in one of her columns because, you know, she was a fearless journalist. Yeah. She was she was an amazing journalist and columnist, and I used to think, um, Jesus, you, you've got you, you are you are dead fearless. And anyway, she wrote this she wrote this article about the RVB, the big supporter, you know, the big supporter group for the Wanderers. And, um, oh my, they got their get square Don't worry about that. And I was sitting in the grandstand, and um, yeah, one of the boys said, "Is that banner up there? Is that referring to Arnie Beck?" Earth. And I said, "Yep, it sure is." <laughs> and uh, yeah, we, we had some. I mean, not just that. I mean, we had some big Barney's professionally. And that's why I mean, I used to be on Sky News, whether on you know with James Brace on Sports Night or on you know on various shows. And oh, mate, she'd fire up. And we, we, we professionally were. I mean, personally, she's, she was my best mate in my. I was super close to her, um, and, and she's an incredible sister, as is my other sister Lizzie, who's just an amazing woman. And um, you know, I'm lucky to have two great older sisters. But I, I looked at Beck, and, and, and Beck and I had some almighty rows, like on air, because um, we professionally we did differ in yep. a lot of our opinions. And even on Christmas Day, mate, you know, the Christmas turkey be served, or there'd, there'd be some sort of fiery debate, or you know. Um, you know, whether it be cricket on Boxing Day or, or just in general, you know, it, it, we, we'd fire up and then we'd go, right, let's, let's forgive and forget it. Let's have a frothy or a beer and yeah. let's move on and did, have a laugh. Did, and, it, make it easier, you know, did it make it easier to disagree with her because it was your sister and you didn't really uh, – you knew no matter what you said, you, you'd be okay? No, not always because she – you know, she, she – at times she'd give you the silent treatment for like weeks. If you, if you had a cracker on air or didn't, you know, it was sort of, um, it was hilarious actually. Yeah. I could always pick it. If I disagree with her in particular around soccer or whatever or football, I'd go, oh, mate, we like the silent, we like the cold war. You know, like it's, um, you know, it would last for weeks. But, you know, the, the thing about Beck is that, you know, she was a, you know, really great journalist. And, you know, my father, Bruce, was a great foreign correspondent. And, um, you know, I think about, you know, my other sister Lucy's a journo as well, and mum's a, mum's an art teacher now retired. She's eighty and lives on the Gold Coast. But you know, it's it's um, I suppose journalism was in the DNA or whatever. But yeah. it was um, you know, I'm, I'm, as I said, my family mean the world to me. And um, you know, Sam passed away, and Joey lives on. Beck passed away, um, and you know, at fifty four, way too young. And, but Lizzie lives on, and you know, my sister Lizzie nearly lost her own life with. Um, a pretty serious illness that she got, and she was very lucky to live. So she did, and she's fine. Some touch wood, and um, yeah. So, and then Mum's still on the Gold Coast, and and you know, very proud Mum. And you know, I think about Mum about what she's had to go through. With yeah. she separated from Dad when she well, she had, she both was married once, and that was the Dad. And I think Dad was the love of her life, and then she had to endure the loss of a grandson being Sam, and then the loss of a daughter Beck, and. I think mum at 80 as a school teacher who basically raised us three kids on her own is an amazing woman. And, and when I talk about mentors in my life, I think I look at mum and she's certainly my greatest mentor. You know, she's been an incredible support and a great mum and, and, and someone to this day you know, I still have great conversations with and still lives in the family home on the Goldie 45 years on. And, you know, Lizzie lives in Brisbane and goes down and sees her a lot and, 
helps her out a lot. I'm in Sydney, so it's a bit bit hard, obviously, especially right now with the border yeah. controls and with what's going on. But you know, mum's mum is an incredible woman and for a strong woman. But what she's had to endure over the years and over her life, it's um, yeah, it hasn't been the easiest of rides. How did how did losing Beck, who you say was your best friend, differ from losing Sam? Obviously, one a son and one a sister. But I'm sure Beck was someone you lent on after Sam's passing. How did how did losing Beck affect you? Um, oh, it affected me a great deal. You know, I think that I mean Sam was six, so you, you, you sort of look at Sam and sort of go, God, start of his life. You go. God, you know, you know, and, and there'll be people listening, listening to the podcast like yourself who've lost a child, and it's um, doesn't matter what age they are, mate. My, my auntie Kathy, who I call auntie Darcy, she um, she lost a, a daughter who was thirty three, Kate, who yeah. was a mother of three, and amazing. She got a sister to me, Kate, and again she looked, she she was you know got um, a very aggressive form of um, breast cancer. So, you know, it's sort of, it doesn't matter what age they are, but I think Beck, you know, I lost my son, but, but, but Beck was like, a, you know, losing Beck was, you know, it was, it was full on. I mean, my two sisters were a big part of me coping with Sam's passing and, um, yeah, it was sort of, um, and I think with Sam, it was it was so aggressive and, and, and came so quick from diagnosis and passing, whereas Beck, you know, had been a few years with dealing with breast cancer. But, you know, one's your sister and, you know, they're both, don't get me wrong, they're, they're both the proverbial of course. sandwiches. But, yeah. you know, it's, it's you know, it's... Um, yeah, yeah, just, mate. It's, honestly, it's I can, I, I know, you, I can, I can hear you don't want to say one's worse than the other or, or that sort of thing. And no, I, no, I'm just yeah. th- th- this, this podcast is, you know, purely for people to say. There's, like I've said, there's no rule book or right or wrong. And you know, like I've said it, on previous pods, people lose a, a, a miscarriage at 12 weeks, and they can say, oh, it wasn't a real baby. And then there's other people that will celebrate that, that. Uh, that embryo for the next 20, 30 mm. years, if they like, you know, that's just the, the way we are built as humans. We just, um, how we feel is how we feel. And, and that's just the way it is. Thanks to their own, Robbie, you know, it's exactly. sort of like everyone copes with grief in different manners. And I, I respect everyone, whether it be 12 weeks, 21 weeks, six, 54, you know, we all cope with grief differently. And, you know, I think, you know, as I said, losing a child is, is something that I, you know, it's, it's, it's awful and, you know, terrible. And, um, uh, but, you know, then you've got a sister who you've grown up with and, um, you know, we were, yeah, it, it, it's just, it, it, it is so different. Not different, it's just, it's, yeah, it's hard to compare the two, but mm. they're both like two really bloody big losses, mate. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm not going to underestimate that. And I, but, but I, I, the two of them, trust me, live on with me every day. And, um, you know, I, I think to myself, you know, Bex, uh, you know, she's, she's with me, and, and as is Sam. And, you know, that's, you know, I, I, I truly hold that close to my heart, and I, and I truly embody that every day of my life. And, and the same with Joey, you know, who lives on. Um, you know, right now he's in Melbourne, and I'm in Sydney, and it's, we're not seeing a lot of each other. We had a week at the end of last year, which I'll always treasure for a lifetime, one of the best weeks of my life where we went to Queenstown in New Zealand. It was his father and son. And mm-hmm. He finished school. He turned 18 in July uh, last year. I said, for your 18th birthday, end of school, let's go to Queenstown together. Yep. And we had the world's best week. We went canyoning. We went 
Oh, God, we did everything. We went canoeing, we went whitewater rafting, and we went to a bar and had a frothy together at a, at a legal age yeah. and listened to live music. And I'll never forget this one guy in Queenstown. He just said to me, what's this song? He said, this is fantastic. I went, it's Piano Man by Billy Joel. Uh, and he said, this is, and it was, being, it was a, live, a live singer, and yeah. mate, he just loved it. And I sat down and I went, you know what, this is pretty damn good. And so, you know, we, we, have, we, we have some great times, but right now, he's looking locked down in Melbourne and I'm in Sydney, and obviously yeah. terribly, but we speak a lot. And, yeah, and, and, and you know, Beck, Beck and, me, and Beck's sons, Tom and Will, uh, I'm very, very close to, and, yeah. you know, I think that um, I'm very proud of those two as well. And, they, and those two have been really, they're older than Sam and, and Joey, but, you know, I look at the influence that those two, Will and Tom, have on Joey and their relationship um, as cousins, and I sort of go, you know, they're, they're two really great young men. And Beck, would, Beck was very proud of them, yeah. and um, and she's done a great job in, in raising them. So, as, as has, you know, their father, Howard. So, you know, it, it's it's one of those things, mate. It's, you just learn to live with it. But, you, you know, I, I, every day of my life I celebrate and, and I treasure um, and they inspire me, you know, Beck and Sam. No, I want to I just thank you, obviously, for coming on and being so so honest and, and sharing everything uh, that you have. I mean, I've had a similar relationship with my dad. Uh, uh, you know, when you mentioned the beer there, yeah, we did something similar, and he, he works in Melbourne. He's stuck there at the moment, so he can't get back to Adelaide, um, and my mum's been on her own for the past six months. You know, he's... Uh, his uh, essential workers permit was revoked, so he's he's stuck there now working. But like you say, there's other other people, plenty of other people out there in, in far worse situations than us. And again, I just want to say thank you for coming on, sharing your your personal stories. Um, we know you're a football man. Um, we've we've heard you mention it throughout this podcast. What what would you do to fix football in this country? I, I know I'm putting you on the spot. It wasn't something that I planned on asking you. But when you look at the A-League, you look at the, the popularity of the um, of the Socceroos, what what would you do to fix football at a local level? Well, also, I'll throw the Matildas in there as well. Yeah, of I mean, course. Of course, they're Matildas flying. They're leading most, the way. Yep. Most, yeah, they are. I mean, I think they're one of the most, not just for football, I think they're one of the most yep. successful sporting brands in the country. And, you know, I, I, as far as fixing football, I mean, I remember, as I said, those days of being up, you know, or being on board with the Wanderers, and you know, um, and even looking at the likes of like some of the players that were in the in the comp, and you know, it's, I get the fact that it's difficult to retain some of these guys like Del Piero at Sydney FC and Shinji Ono, and you know, but I remember going to some of those derbies and between Sydney FC and the Wanderers, and just going, wow, this is a this place is buzzing. Like it's just it was it was just between the Cove, the supporter group, and the RBB, and the you know it was, it was just great theatre. And I, you know I, I, even in Adelaide with those those great games at, uh, at Highmarsh, or you know you, you watch the, the, those brilliant Adelaide sunsets and you sort of go wow, yeah. and, and and those really good games. And, yeah. And the same with Victory versus City in Melbourne. It's it's I think it's a really the, the comp it needs you know it, it needs big names and. The, the problem with football and the A League is that when it was really pumping, it was it, it had great television coverage and it, and it also had big names. And you know, it's a, as I said, it's a world game, and and and, and you need coin. You know, it's, it's a bit like the Big Bash at the moment. The Big yeah. Bash cricket is a I love the Big Bash, and the kids love it, and and we've sort of they've grown up with it. But the problem with the Big Bash, like A League, it, it's hard to lure the big the biggest names from around the world because they're either 
they're going for the coin at either a tournament that's much shorter, mm. whether it be on the subcontinent or wherever, and, and, and it's hard to it's hard to get the best of the best. And the reason why the Big Bash was so good, and I, I still reckon it's a good product. Don't get me wrong, but it's not it's lost a bit of its gloss because the biggest names are going elsewhere, and we can't get them here. Yeah. And that's because the season's too long, um, and they're going to places like the Pakistan Super League or Bangladesh or wherever, um, or they've got commitments elsewhere with playing for their countries. And the A-League is the same thing. That you know, You've got to have coin, and, and you know, in a small country, it's, it's, it's difficult. So, you know, I think... I, I, I really like the current boss of the FFA, that James Johnson. I think he's... I think he's a pretty good operator, and I just hope, um, you know, I'm really hoping the Women's World Cup in 2023, not just for women's football, yep. but for the code in general. Now, I know it's still a fair way away. I get that. Um, but it's a tough one, mate. You, 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 you know, you've got to have the cattle. You yeah. need the cattle to make a product successful, and right now that's difficult. And you've got to have commitment from television and broadcasters. And, 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 and right now, during COVID in particular, Advertising revenues down, um, you know, whether it be part TV or through the way, it's a tough market. So it's a really challenging time for the game, but I'm, I'm hoping, and fingers crossed, that we, we, we obviously keep a healthy competition. And we, um, but as I said, you know, even if you're not playing EPL or Bundesliga or, or, or Syria or whatever, it, it, to come to the A League and play A League in Australia, it's. it's it's right down the pecking order, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and that's that's the challenge facing officials and, and facing games administrators. But as I said, that 2023 World Cup with the women's, it, 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 yeah, it is big. Well, it, it, and um, I, I know it will be big for the country. Yeah, let's hope that uh, we can start leveraging that World Cup in the lead-up to it and then use that as a platform to uh, to launch off after. And, and hopefully uh, the FFA can can steer the ship and, and this move to winter could be a, a positive uh, one. Uh, Jim, again, I want to thank you for coming on to Life, Death and Sport. Appreciate you and, and, and everything you've offered here tonight and, and wish you all the best going forward in the future. Thank you very much. Robbie, been my absolute pleasure and, and thanks for the chat, mate. Good on you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Life, Death and Sport. Unlike sport, in life, there is no playbook. And I want you to know that however you feel, it's okay. Thanks for listening to Life, Death and Sport. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss upcoming interviews and connect with Robbie Cornthwaite on social media. Links are in the show notes.